Welcome to Ag Future presented by Alltech. Join us from the 2022 Alltech One Conference as we explore opportunities within agri-food, business, and beyond. I'm Tom Martin for the Alltech Ag Future podcast, and joining us is Dr. Amy Petrie, an assistant professor in the Department of Animal and Food Sciences at Texas Tech University and an expert in nutritional physiology. Over her career, she has received more than half a million dollars in federal or industry research grants and has published more than 30 referred journal articles, abstracts, and book chapters. Dr. Petrie leads a multidisciplinary research lab that works collaboratively with the swine industry to conduct basic science that supports, develops, or evolves solutions for producers. And she's with us today to talk about her work and observations around the use of carbohydrate enzymes in pig diets, particularly xylanase. Welcome, Amy. Thanks, Tom. And I mentioned xylanase is a carbohydrate. Um, tell us about that and how it's beneficial in pig diets. Absolutely. So xylanase is an enzyme that targets dietary fiber. And um, you, me, and the pig, we don't produce enzymes that can break down dietary fiber. So we rely on microorganisms to do that. And one way that we can help promote fiber degradation, which can be good for improving calorie uptake in the pig, and then some of the research we've done to improve gut health, is through the use of these carbohydrate enzymes. And so xylanase is an enzyme that targets this fiber called arabinoxylan. And arabinoxylan is this really complex non-starch polysaccharide that's found in a lot of cereal grains. And so here in the U.S., one of the more predominant sources of this fiber is corn, and a lot of the industrial corn co-products um, that can be commonly seen in U.S. Um, swine diets. And over the past 20 or so years, we've seen kind of increase in the amount of fiber in a pig's diet due to least cost formulation and utilizing more of these industrial corn co-products. And so what xylanase can do is help break down that dietary fiber. And the original goal with supplementing that enzyme was to help improve feed efficiency, um, fiber digestibility, and overall increase the energetic contribution of fiber. Uh, but what has been more fascinating and more consistent of that is this effect that xylanase likely improves pig viability or reduces finishing pig mortality. You earned your doctorate at uh, Iowa State University. Uh, and you did that by investigating the properties of xylanase. Uh, what were the, your findings and how did the information influence your work going forward? Sure. So um, at my, in my PhD work at Iowa State, we really wanted to find out why this enzyme was potentially improving finishing pig mortality and then try to de-dupe um, de some of the reasons why this enzyme can be ineffective in corn-based products. And so one of those things is comes down to the mechanism of action of this enzyme. What is it actually doing in the pig's gut? So we conducted two pretty large experiments that tested um, five different hypotheses as it relates to how this enzyme might particularly be working in the gut. And so we did this um, with seven other collaborators and did a whole slew of um, um, data collection. So we looked at digestibility across the gastrointestinal tract. We looked at the microbiome, influences of different biomarkers within the um, serum and within the gut of the pig, as well as is taking um, microscopy pictures of the actual fiber structure. 
And what we found is that this enzyme appears to be doing more than just improving fiber fermentation. Um, so when we supplement it, we do get fiber digestibility. We get breakdown of this really complex polysaccharide that's in the pig's diet. But in the process of doing that, we um, really establish some more symbiosis with the microbiome. And it appears that this enzyme is eliciting two different mechanisms, a prebiotic-like effect. And so in this case, it's selectively upregulating microorganisms that confer a health benefit within the pig. And we observed this in the small intestine, where when we fed pigs this enzyme in the presence of corn-based fiber, um, we saw a upregulation in three um, bacterial groups, lactobacillus, bifidobacterium, and fecobacterium. And the interesting thing about these microorganisms is in the human sciences, they're largely associated with gut health, probiotic candidates, um, and improving gut barrier integrity. And the reason for that is, is they establish this cooperative microbial metabolism, where they take these very complex arabinoxylans. Um, the xylanase, we supplement the pig, breaks it down into these oligosaccharides, and then these microorganisms beneficially um, digest those oligosaccharides into these things called short-chain fatty acids. And particularly, we see an increase in butyrate production, which is associated with improving gut health. And in these studies, we also saw improvements in markers of gut health. And so it's this first indication that there maybe is a health aspect to feeding a fiber-degrading enzyme um, that might partially be the causation for why we see a reduction in finishing pig mortality in commercial production. The other half of that is when we look at the microbiome in the large intestine, where a lot of fiber fermentation actually occurs, xylanase appears to be eliciting what we call a stembiotic-like um, mechanism. And so the concept of stembiotic, particularly in swine nutrition, is pretty new. But it's this concept that an additive can increase fiber digestibility through stimulating the microbiome to further ferment fiber than what the enzyme or the additive is doing itself. And we saw that in these pigs in that in their cecum, where most of the microbial organisms, it's kind of this little vat that they have, um, actually were had more diversity and they could ferment fiber three to one compared to that of the control. And so it was another indication along with the uh, changes in the microorganisms that we were indeed improving um, fiber fermentation. So those were the two big findings we found. Well, the uh, the use of xylanase in pig diets is becoming more prevalent, more popular. But does it live up to to the promise, to the hype? I think it does for improving um, finishing pig mortality. We certainly here in the U.S. know of several field trials, 15 plus, that have shown an improvement in the number of pigs that make it to market. Um, there's still a lot of research to be done in terms of proving feed efficiency. It appears with this enzyme when we supplement it with this corn co-product DDGs that it doesn't really break down the DDGs as much as we had anticipated that it would. And so I think for further use of this enzyme, we really need to be able to improve its ability of um, breaking down DDGs so that we can improve feed efficiency. And so there's still a bit of a misalignment between those two things. And I think for um, continual use of this enzyme and improving feed efficiency, we need more research in that area. But certainly as a tool to potentially improve mortality, um, it's appearing to live up to the hype. A lot of your enzyme work, as I understand it, has been in growing pigs. Mm -hmm. How does enzyme supplementation translate to use in sow diets? Yeah, for me, this is a really interesting area and something that um, we're trying to do quite a bit of research on. 
Um, I think that the mechanism that we showed in terms of improving gut health and improving fiber fermentation likely could translate to a sow. Um, there's some evidence of that now within the literature, and I know of several people, including our own lab, that's doing work in that area. But I think um, in terms of improving um, fiber fermentability and uh, microbiome symbiosis, I certainly think that xylanase could have that role in the sow as well. But it's an area of opportunity um, for both research and um, with the utilization of this enzyme in production. I think uh, this began for you as an undergrad at Texas Tech. Uh, if you would, tell us about your interest in how diet influences energy. Yeah, so um, early on in my um, research studies, I spent a lot of time um, reading about dietary energy. My master's work has dealt with a little bit in dietary energy. And energy is one of these really complex things that um, nutritionists have to deal with. It's not a nutrient. It's a um, part of what nutrients do within the body. And so we have four different um, components that provide energy. We have protein, fat, and then we have simple and complex carbohydrates. And particularly in the swine nutrition realm, you know, I think there's a lot of um, interest in how we can improve dietary energy because feed costs are high and calories are expensive. It's, you know, it's accounted for more than 65% of the cost of nutrition in pig production is due to meeting the energy specification of a diet. And so something that I'm really passionate about and, you know, keeps me going and it started early on in my um, graduate career and then all throughout my PhD is how can we improve the energetic contribution of fiber, which is a lot of the enzyme work comes in because fiber is this interesting thing, particularly insoluble fiber from corn, um, that we don't actually get a lot of calories out. So in diets that we feed pigs that have DDGs, if you go from 0% DDGs in the diet to about 30%, um, you increase the amount of fiber in that diet by about 60%. So you go from a level between 7 and 8 upwards to 15% fiber. Yet the contribution of that fiber to energy is quite small um, if it's coming from corn, less than 5% of the total calories that are in the diet. And so I certainly think there's an opportunity there to improve the amount of energy we can supply the pig if we can understand fiber better and understand fiber fermentation. You know, it's interesting how timing can kind of influence which fork in the road we take in life. Mm -hmm. And I know that you had it on your side after being told that Iowa State Professor John Patience, with whom you'd hoped to do your Ph.D. work, that he was going to be retiring and probably would not be available. But what happened? Yeah, so um, when I was doing my master's work in the area of energy, I was um, reading a lot of papers around energy, and a lot of those um, came from um, John and his lab, and particularly his work around energy and feed efficiency. And so during my master's work, I was um, looking at a place to go do a PhD, and I um, really wanted to study with John because of his interest in energy. And so at the time, my master's advisor, he was, you know, I, he was like, I don't know if he's taking any more students or or, you know, if he's got any opening in his programs. And I was pretty early on in my master's, but um, call it fate. Um, John posted a, sent out an email to swine nutrition faculty and said, I am looking for my last PhD student. And um, so I applied and then uh, ended up being John's last um, PhD student and got to do this really neat stuff with studying xylanase. It's, it's highly unusual to, to hear of a graduate student who devotes the kind of time and the patience involved in writing a grant to fund their own dissertation research. It's, it's hard work 
full-time job almost. Yes. But you did it. And uh, the effort certainly paid off. I think you received about $300,000. Yeah. And uh, I'm just wondering, what advice from that experience can you pass on to others who might be intimidated by that process? Yeah. So the grant writing that happened in my um, PhD work was in collaboration with John, but John knew that I wanted to do um, research as probably as a future career and potentially in academia like I'm doing now. And so being involved in the scientific process of putting together hypotheses and an idea and then eliciting funds through it um, with industry was a really rewarding experience. Um, and I think, you know, anybody who's looking to do that kind of work or a graduate school in general, um, you have to have perseverance and a lot of what I like to call grit, the mental fortitude um, to overcome any kind of obstacles. And so um, I think of a lot of times back in my PhD, you know, you always hit roadblocks when you're doing research. It wouldn't be research if we did didn't. And so the persistence of being able to do that. And I think also being in an environment where you have high collaboration like we did um, in that lab and the ability to learn from others and um, be supported in those areas was hugely valuable. Yeah, I did a little bit of reading about your background, Amy, and, and I see that you were a horse girl. Of course, we're here in the horse capital of the world, so that leaps off the page to us. But you were a horse girl by upbringing, riding, judging. And I just wonder, could you have imagined then that you would someday become a rising star in the swine world. What attracted you? Um, no, I didn't think that I would. I My dad laughs a little bit when I was graduating um, college, and I said, I'm going to go do a master's in swine nutrition. My dad said, of all of my children, I think you were the last person I ever thought that would work with pigs. And I didn't really know about pigs growing up. I knew I didn't even really know about agriculture a ton. I was grew up in an urban background, was involved in 4-H. That was my connection through horses, was largely through 4-H. Um, but in college, I was able to be exposed um, to pigs. Um, so working um, in collaboration with some professors at our pig farm, doing some undergraduate research, which was, was hugely valuable. And, you know, at the time, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian in um, undergraduate. I really liked chemistry and biology, was one of those type of students that uncannily liked the hard sciences. And But I also liked animals and agriculture. And so nutrition really kind of bridged the gap there for me. It combined my um, interest and um, um, learning of chemistry and biology in an application that seemed beneficial to a, to the agriculture sector. And so PIGS was the model for me to do that, um, partially through that exposure of undergraduate research, but also because of the swine industry and how um, committed the swine industry is to making, uh, making advancements. What sorts of exciting innovations are you seeing in your field and how will those developments impact your research work? Yeah, so there's a lot of exciting things going on with dietary fiber. You know, our lab, we really focus in on a couple different areas, looking at um, the non-nutritive functions of the diet, increasing the energetic contribution of fiber, and then looking at disruptors of ener base maintenance energy requirements of pigs. And in the fiber realm, there's a lot of really interesting data coming out of Europe where they use a lot more fibrous ingredients, a lot more soluble fiber, really interesting work um, that's looking at the influence of fiber on farrowing efficiency and the rate of stillborns um, from Pierre Thiel's lab. And then I, there's some others coming out of the University of Queensland. 
And so when we think about all these relationships to Fiverr, I always go back to what can we do here in the U.S.? You know, there's not all of these things that can be done in other countries. Maybe you're not applicable to the U.S. wine industry. And so we try our group is trying to bridge the gap. How can we improve, utilize fiber? Um, how can we improve our utilization of fiber and um, really maximize its health potential and attenuate its anti-nutritive effects? And so I think enzymes play a role in that. I think there's certainly a place um, um, for that, this concept of using designer fibers, so specific fiber types that we can actually put in very small concentrations within the diet to me is really interesting and something that's shaping um, our lab. And then also, how is the pig actually using the fiber? Um, we've got a really large project coming up that we're kind of taking it back to the basics. We're taking it back to actually how is the pig utilizing fiber without enzymes? So then we can try to understand, you know, what's happening from a host side, but also the microbiome that's there fermenting it from a metabolism perspective. So we can hopefully develop better candidates or evolve current um, enzyme or other solutions to help improve that contribution of fiber to energy. We've been talking with Dr. Amy Petrie, an assistant professor in the Department of Animal and Food Sciences at Texas Tech University and an expert in nutritional physiology. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm Tom Martin for the Alltech Ag Future podcast series. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.